This program is made possible by people just like you, and we need your support right now. Please visit the fundraiser page at bestoftheleft.com for details. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Tom Hartman program, On the Media, The Young Turks, The Show, The David Pakman Show, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, and Moyers and Company. And here is a sentence that has never been uttered in the history of everything. Prepare to be inspired about net neutrality. I promised you I would tell you about Chattanooga, Tennessee. Here in Washington, D.C., on a good day, I can get a download, and I've got, you know, a, the top-of-the-line consumer Internet service, which is supposedly, I think, 50 megabytes download, Maybe they advertise it as 20. Maybe they advertise it as 100. I'm not sure, whatever it is. But I can, you know, I can get a measured, you know, when you do those little test things, I get 27 down, 5 up, megabytes. And for that, I'm paying whatever I'm paying. I think it's like something like 50 bucks a month. And, you know, here in the studio, we, we have the commercial stuff. And I'm pretty sure we're at 100 down. No, what are we? It's even slower than that. Yeah. Okay. And we're paying a fortune for this. We've got we've got several of these lines because we've got all these streams going out. We have, yeah, we've got three of these. And I thought we were pulling them off the cable. Yeah. And so in any case, it's it's just, you know, so just think about that. I mean, you know, high speed in the United States means 20 megabytes per second. It means you can watch Netflix sort of. Um, if you want to download a 2-hour movie, it can take you a half hour. I, I, I remember many times Louise uh, loves to watch movies on her uh, iPad on airplanes. And so, it, and we travel a fair amount. And so, if we're going to travel someplace, she will try to download a couple of movies to her iPad. You know, she'll go to, to you know, one of the site Amazon or whatever, where they sell movies, and she'll just, you know, buy a couple of movies and download them and put them on her iPad. And she has to sit there and wait for hours. And I remember one time we were at the airport and it was only half downloaded. And she was like, oh, my God, you know, she was frantic about it because, the, you know, the download speed at the airports, even even in the um, uh, the Red Carpet Club or whatever it's called, the you know, the, the airline club, uh, was still just painfully slow. And hooking it up to her phone and using the AT&T service with a hotspot, it's still brutally slow. You know, it's like five megs if you're lucky. So Chattanooga, Tennessee said, screw this. The Internet is not that different from from an electric utility or from water, right? It's, an, it's becoming a natural monopoly. You, don't, you can't really choose among a large multitude of providers. you got one pipe coming into your house, and, and it's part of the commons. It's like the old, you know, Ben Franklin with the libraries back in Philadelphia. You know, it's like they should be available to everybody. Let's make this a public utility. Because it's part of having an informed and educated electorate. I mean, even if people do want to watch Netflix or watch porn or something, still, there's the news there. There's, you know, you can communicate with people. You can talk to grandma. You can, you know, it's all right there. People increasingly are living their lives on the web. And we can debate, you know, the, the relative merits or health of that, which is a whole different discussion. But the fact of the matter is that increasingly you've got to have good, reliable, high-speed Internet access. So keep in mind, I'm talking, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 megabyte download speeds are considered blazing fast in the United States. The average in Japan and South Korea is a gigabyte, 1,000 megabytes a second. You can download a two-hour movie in 35 seconds. So Chattanooga, Tennessee gets the, the city fathers get together and, and fathers and mothers and whatever, you know, the, the, the city council. They get together and they say, um, let's do this. And they took some money from the uh, Obama stimulus, which is kind of cool. And they built out. It was a $111 million federal stimulus grant in 2009. And then they also had to borrow $219 million. They will make that back because they, they charge 70 bucks a month. But you get one gigabyte download. 
In other words, Chattanooga, Tennessee now has the same speed as everybody in South Korea, or everybody in Seoul, South Korea, anyway. And the, the New York Times, Edward Wyatt has this piece in, in uh, what would be yesterday's New York Times, February 3rd. The headline, Fast Internet is Chattanooga's New lo Locomotive. They're calling it Gig City. And this this town in the Appalachians, you know, and that that has never really been known for anything other than just being, you know, the Chattanooga Choo Choo, I suppose. Um, but there are literally companies moving from San Francisco and New York where they can't get this kind of Internet speed to Chattanooga. And it's created at least a thousand new jobs and well-paying jobs. New Internet startup companies are moving there. This is the new manufacturing for America. And it's because it's a public utility. It's being run by the people, for the people, at cost. No stockholders have to skim their money off the top by virtue of dividends. No CEO is making a $300 million a year salary. It's not at all like Comcast or Verizon or AT&T. No, instead, it's like the local water utility. And it works. The proposed merger of Comcast and Time Warner Cable has left a lot of people worrying whether their TV and Internet bills will go up. But combining the country's two largest triple-play companies, those that provide TV, phone, and broadband Internet, could do more than reach deeper into our wallets. It could shape how many of us experience the flow of ideas. The deal would deliver 30% of the nation's pay TV subscribers and more than one-third of broadband Internet subscribers with no other choice, into the hands of Comcast. Susan Crawford, author of the book Captive Audience, The Telecom Industry and Monopoly Power in the New Gilded Age, has, as you might guess, a grim assessment of the potential impact. This takes an already terrible situation and makes it marginally worse. Just a teeny bit worse. Well, <laughs> in that this mammoth combined company is going to pass 62% of American homes and it faces almost no competition. Hey, Time Warner and Comcast don't share a single zip code right now. So they're all monopoly powers in their specified areas. That's true, and actually back in 97, they called it the summer of love. <laughs> the cable organizations divided up their systems and clustered their operations. It makes total sense for them. Here's what makes the difference. Right now, Comcast pays about a third or a half of what any upstart infrastructure provider would pay for programming. Mm. Comcast, when it bulks up with Time Warner Cable's additional customers, will pay even less than it pays now, making it even less likely that a new competitor will be able to show up. How would this merger affect, potentially, the kind of programming we get? Every content provider has to deal with Comcast requests for payment, preferential treatment given to their own partners. And if you're thinking this is all just about video, forget it. This is about high data using applications. That could be distance education, telemedicine, home security. Comcast gets to charge whatever rents it wants to for the privilege of reaching its subscribers. Let's say you really love House of Cards. It's a Netflix service. Whether or not you watch it on your television or on your computer, you're still streaming it. It's not being broadcast. So what can Comcast do to House of Cards? Comcast can really mess with Netflix. It can force Netflix's communications through a narrow gateway so that your viewing experience on the other end as a subscriber of Netflix is very shabby, you know, sort of lots of jitter, lots of latency. They can also charge Netflix a lot to get a better experience through their networks. And finally, on the user side, they can impose usage caps 
and you'll bump into them if you start replacing your pay TV with over-the-top TV, and then that'll make you feel as if it's too expensive to watch Netflix in the future. Look, the public cares about Netflix programs. They are growing interested in Amazon programming. Can that situation really prevail for long? Well, we have two choices at this moment. One, we could regulate them, put a cop on the beat, or we could just build alternative networks. On Wednesday morning, the FCC announced that it's going to start work aimed at getting rid of a bunch of state laws that make it impossible for cities to make this decision for themselves, to decide whether or not they need an alternative network so as to route around the power of the cable barons. And many, many mayors across America are thinking about this right now. A lot of cities have actively tried to create municipal networks. And the cable companies and the phone companies have done a really wonderful job of stifling these efforts in the crib. That's right. The cable companies have managed to get 19 states to go along with the idea that it isn't right for a city to have anything to do with telecommunications capacity. We saw exactly the same thing happen when electricity was coming around. The private actors who controlled the trusts that had locked down electricity in America didn't want to see cities have anything to do with it. It took FDR, it took enormous amounts of leadership, decades of political fighting, but we won. Now we're going through that fight when it comes to high-speed internet access. We're at least on the battlefield at this point. Having completely jumped the gun about what's going to happen when this merger takes place, I may have leapt over a crucial question, which is that the merger is under review. Absolutely. There are many other ancillary markets that are affected by the merger that the Department of Justice will be looking at very closely. What happens to programmers? What happens to the equipment marketplace? The FCC has a broad mandate in looking at this merger. It's supposed to protect the public interest, and it will be examining it for the next year. So we've got a long way to go on the regulatory review of this particular combination. Although it sounds like what you describe and I know we're full of metaphors here, but the, <laughs> like three-quarters of the horses have already bolted from the barn. Look, I think the great thing is that the horses may have left the barn, but at least everybody's looking at the horses at this point. <laughs> that the merger has really focused attention on the broken situation for information distribution in America. The fact that we're becoming a third-world nation when it comes to cheap and ubiquitous connectivity. We should be making an upgrade to fiber. But it's not in Comcast's interest to do that. It has no desire to spend any more on its network. It is in harvesting mode. The problem is we're all being harvested, and our innovative and informational future is at risk. Look to the future. Don't live in the past. What you have to do is live each day as it's the last Look to the future Well, don't live in the past Now, recently we found out that the government is planning on gutting net neutrality. Now, that's awfully weird, because I remember President Obama saying something uh, that was very positive about net neutrality when he was on the campaign trail. He said, what you've been seeing is some lobbying that says that servers and the various portals through which you're getting information over the Internet should be able to be gatekeepers and to charge different rates to different websites. And that I think destroys one of the best things about the Internet, which is that there is this incredible equality there. Well, all right, there's President Obama saying on the campaign trail when he's trying to trick you, I mean, uh, get you to vote for him, that he's totally in favor of net neutrality, equality on the Internet, and that he's going to stand up to these people who are going to destroy one of the best things about the Internet. Well, so... Uh, Quite surprised to find out last week, as the Wall Street reported, that the revised rules that the FCC is considering to be announced by the FCC will allow ISPs uh, to give pref preferential treatment to traffic from some content providers as long as such arrangements are available on commercially reasonable terms. How's that for funny? There it goes. Net neutrality. Gone. Now, they're going to announce that soon. Uh, that was the Wall Street Journal breaking that story, explaining that 
they will be able to differentiate and slow down some websites if they don't pay enough, if they don't like their content enough, it doesn't really matter because it's solely in their hands. FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler, uh, whose history we'll tell you about in a second, said, no, there's a lot of misinformation here. Look, they have to be commercially reasonable. Oh, we're going to trust those massive corporations who stand to make hundreds of millions of dollars off those decisions to be commercially reasonable. Well, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, that, that usually works when they regulate themselves. So uh, this is a complete abdication of their responsibility to regulate responsibly and and to protect us all. And obviously going back 100% on why on the statements that President Obama uh, gave when he was campaigning. We'll tell you why in a second. Now let me give you some background on the revolving door at the FCC. Not related to this issue, but to other issues that affect uh, providers like Comcast. Uh, there was Meredith uh, Atwell Baker. She was a former M- FCC commissioner. And right after she allowed Comcast to uh, merge with NBC, she was a very important vote as a commissioner on that. Well, you look at that. She wound up taking a high-level lobbyist job for Comcast. What a wonderful coincidence. That wind up coincidentally depositing probably millions of dollars over a set of years in her bank account, and probably not a long set of years. Michael Powell, a former FCC uh, chairman, not just commissioner, but chairman. Uh, who did he work for right after? Oh, will you look at that? He's now lobbying for Comcast Time Warner Cable merger as the head of the National Cable and Telecommunications lobbying effort. He went from the head of the FCC to the head of the ch- lobbyist group for those same people that they were regulating. So this is business as usual. Now, when it comes to this issue of net neutrality, where do we stand there? Well, let me give you a long list of people, and by the way, there are at least a dozen others. I'm just giving you some of the highlights here of people that are now at the FCC and where they used to work. Brendan Carr is an advisor to FCC Commissioner Ajit Pai. Now, Ajit Pai happens to be Republican, so it's not surprising to know that Brendan Carr worked for years as an attorney to AT&T, CenturyLink, Verizon, and the U.S. Telecom Association. Gee, I wonder which way he's going to pressure the FCC to go. Of course, it's going to be against net neutrality. Now, let's go to Matthew Del Nero. He was brought into the FCC to work on net neutrality. Well, he's worked on net neutrality before for TDS Telecom, an internet service provider that has lobbied against net neutrality. Huh, well, seems like a coincidence. I mean, there's a lot of people that used to lobby against net neutrality. Now they're inside the FCC and they're going to kill net neutrality. Hmm. Let's see if there's any more. There's former Ambassador Philip Verveer. He's a senior counselor to FCC Commissioner Tom Wheeler. He worked for, oh, well, you look at that, Comcast, the Wireless Association, which is a lobbying group, and the National Cable and Telecommunications Association, another lobbying group, all against net neutrality. And look at this, another person inside the FCC against net neutrality. Uh, Now, how about Daniel Alvarez? Well, he's an interesting case. He was hired directly under the FCC chairman, Tom Wheeler, who uh, President Obama brought in recently, about a year ago. Well, uh, where did Daniel Alvarez work? He was an attorney representing, oh, right, Comcast, through uh, Wilkie Farr and Gallagher, which was his law firm. In 2010, Alvarez wrote a letter to the FCC on behalf of Comcast protesting net neutrality rules. So, he works directly under Tom Wheeler, the head of the FCC. He already, we already know, he wrote a letter saying, for Comcast, saying, kill net neutrality. Oh, but Obama brings these guys in like, what, me, me? I said protect net neutrality, did I? <laughs> okay, uh, here's what Alvaro's, by, by the way, wrote about net neutrality in that letter. He said that it was, quote, socially beneficial discrimination. Well, that discrimination that you're going to have to destroy the Internet, it's socially beneficial. At least it is to us. (laughs) So these are the guys that now work at the FCC. And gee, I wonder if they'll rotate through that revolving door and then go on to get more money later uh, from those same groups that they used to get money from before. Hmm, hard to tell. All right, now, uh, that's not all. Comcast has also decided to contribute to almost every single congressperson, 32 out of the 39 members of the House Judiciary Committee, that will be deciding whether these rules get through or not. They'll at least be part of that process. You want to cover your bases. Now, how much money did they spend lobbying just last year? $18.8 million, just last year alone, okay? Uh, but we're not done yet. I mentioned Tom Wheeler and what his motivations might be. He's the FCC chairman today. Now, uh, let's take a look at his resume and see what's on it. 
Oh, he was the chair. He's chairman of the FCC now. He's previously president of the National Cable Television Association. That would be the major lobbying group for cable. And he was also the CEO of the Cellular Telecommunications and Internet Association. Well, when you look at that, that's another group that's in the same industry that he was a chief lobbyist for. And both of those groups are against net neutrality. What a wonderful coincidence. Now, why did all this stuff happen? Why did President Obama, who claimed to be for net neutrality, load up the FCC, including its head, with people who are against net neutrality? Oh, another unbelievable coincidence. You're not going to believe this. Tom Wheeler raised $700,000 during President Obama's two presidential election campaigns. Hmm. I'm sure that had nothing to do with it. You see, if in the mainstream media you mention uh, who's getting paid, uh, by whom, and the campaign contributions, they say, oh, no, 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 these are honorable gentlemen. How dare you besmirch the reputation of our honorable politicians by implying that they got bought off? Well, guess what? That's exactly what I'm implying. I'm not even implying it. I'm saying it. President Obama is a two-bit politician bought off like the rest of them. He told you sweet little lies about how he's going to protect net neutrality. And then he put in people that he knows are against net neutrality. And now they are gutting net neutrality because they don't want equality. They want a system that protects the already powerful. You think Barack Obama's against this system? This system made him rich, powerful, president, commander-in-chief. It made him the most powerful man on earth. He doesn't hate this system. He loves this system. He's the captain of this system. So, of course, he brought in a guy who gave him $700,000. And that guy is going to do the bidding of the people who have given him millions of dollars to be their chief lobbyist for his entire career. This is not a surprise to anybody. This is how the system screws us. By the way, about a year ago when he was uh, appointed by President Obama, you should have seen how ecstatic the lobbyist uh, groups and the internet providers and the cable companies and all those guys were. Uh, Broadband uh, uh, put out a press release. Okay, now this is another lobbying group uh, that is against net neutrality. We applaud President Obama on his nomination of Tom Wheeler to be the next FCC chairman. That's when you knew we were already screwed. And then for the next year, they were like, gee, I wonder which way Tom Wheeler is going to go. Oh, golly, gee, I don't know. But oh, appointed by Obama, it could go either way. Jim Kakoni, uh, uh, ATT's lobbying and policy arm uh, head, said at the time, I've known Tom Wheeler for many years, and he is an inspired pick to lead the FCC. An inspired pick by Obama. And uh, I love this because at the time, a year ago, when they were writing about this on The Verge, uh, the person who wrote the article wrote, Then again, Wheeler has been selected by a Democrat who, by all appearances, wouldn't be looking to install a big business apologist. <laughs> Wrong again, Bob. No. See, that's the fundamental misunderstanding of the press. They think Obama's a Democrat and a progressive. See, that's the last point of this. you got to understand that's really dangerous. Because that veneer is exactly what allows Obama to gut all reform to go against change, to be in favor of the establishment, while no one notices. Now, we notice, right, you know, as a program the Young Turks notice, as an audience, you know it, the whole internet's on fire about this issue, you're really angry. But when you turn on mainstream television, are they talking about this? No, they're the same guys, right? They don't mind this, they like this. And they say, no, 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 it's okay, he, that couldn't have been a pro-business decision. It couldn't have been against the American people. It's because Obama made the decision, so it must be a populist, progressive, uh, democratic position. It's not. It's the exact opposite. That's why, in a lot of ways, President Obama is more dangerous than someone at least you can see coming, like George W. Bush. You knew where that dude stood. Obama uh, is change on the outside, continuity on the inside. And in this case, he just made it worse than Bush. Change
2007, at a public forum in Iowa, presidential candidate Barack Obama was asked about net neutrality, the policy that requires that Internet service providers not discriminate among content providers in terms of the speed or access they have to the Internet. Specifically, quote, would you make it a priority in your first year of office to reinstate net neutrality as the law of the land? And would you pledge to only appoint FCC commissioners that support open Internet principles like net neutrality? Quote, the answer is yes, Obama replied. I am a strong supporter of net neutrality. He continued, what you've been seeing is some lobbying that says that the servers and the various portals through which you're getting information over the Internet should be able to be gatekeepers and to charge different rates to different websites. And I think that destroys one of the best things about the Internet, which is that there is this incredible equality there, unquote. That was 2008. This is 2014. This week, FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler, appointed by Barack Obama, confirmed that proposed rules to replace net neutrality regulations struck down by a court decision are on track. The Wall Street Journal says it has a source who knows what those regulations will be. New rules that would allow content companies to pay Internet service providers for special access to consumers. The opposite of the FCC's original intent with the open Internet order passed in 2010. Nutty, huh? Thanks for helping me with my homework, Dad. Huh. I've really been having trouble with this math unit. Hey, it's help you with math or have drinks with Harry Reid. <laughs> and no matter how rough the math stuff is, it can't take as long as drinks with Harry Reid. What? I thought Senator Reid was a Mormon, Daddy. They don't drink. That's right, kitten. And Nixon was a Quaker and they don't believe in war. <laughs> anyway... What's the deal here, kitten? Quadratic equation? I wish. Hmm. You know, we just read about Nixon in history. No, we'll be reading about your dad someday in history, too, kitten. I know. My teacher said Nixon dragged out the Vietnam War until after his re-election campaign. Yes, he did. And that was a bad thing. But Zach Crystal said you dragged out the Afghanistan War until after your re-election campaign. Well, the son of a right-wing magazine editor would say that. <laughs> Is it true? You know what's true, Kevin? Hmm? we got to get cracking on this math stuff now. <laughs> so? How do I look? Mom, you look good enough to be on the cover of Ebony again. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. Thanks. Going to a function? Mm-hmm. Giving five formerly obese kids presidential medals of stendom. Well, Kitten here is dealing with some teasing by Zach Crystal, and I think I'm the cause of it. Oh, it's nothing. Well, that's what we get when we put them in a private school where two-thirds of the kids have right-wing parents. Oh, uh, think you can work that fraction into your math problem, Kitten? Oh, Dad, fractions are so 2011. <laughs> but I think you'll have the public schools fixed before my garden recovers from that fox. Oh, honey, I'm sorry, but that really is a first-world problem. We got people on the staff who love to replant. Now, go have a good time with the formerly fat kids. Obese. Night, kitten. Night, Mom. Now, about that math hang-up. Dad. Yes, kitten. You know Jessica England? Oh, sure. She's Laura's... She said you used to be for Internet neutrality. (laughs) Was that a long time ago? Oh, way back when you were in grammar school, kitten. She said now your FCC chairman is going to let some companies pay to get faster Internet service, and that's going to... Make it take forever to get my email. Well, first of all, Princess, since when do kids use email? It was a figure of speech. But, Dad... Yes, Kitten? I like my Internet. Hey, we all do, Kitten. But let's say you rented Scary Movie 2, coming to theaters soon. Was that product placement, Dad? Sure. Gotta pay for the replanting. And let's say that... Just before a really funny moment, Mm -hmm. the download had a long hiccup. I guess I'd get up and get myself a soda. Mm -hmm. Or if Mom was around, a healthy beverage. Well, wouldn't it be worth waiting an extra millisecond or so on Googling your next school paper 
to make sure that hiccup didn't happen. I guess. Although we're not allowed to Google our papers. And remember that laptop that my friend Brian from Comcast gave you last Christmas? Actually, it's just a laptop cover. Okay, but still, it, it was a really nice one, wasn't it? Yeah, a little on the pink side. But, Dad, mm -hmm. when I was back in elementary school, mm -hmm. you kind of said the opposite, didn't you? About your laptop cover? About the Internet. Hey, Kitten, mm -hmm. six years ago we all knew a lot less about a lot of things. You, for example, knew a lot less about quadratic equations. <laughs> well, speaking of which, how about that pesky math problem? Oh, it's okay, Dad. Really? Yeah. After this little talk, mm -hmm. it all adds up. Oh, that's my girl. I've been saying for a while that net neutrality or so-called open internet versus closed internet issues are absolutely paramount to so much of what is going to happen in the political system going forward. The internet has been one of the biggest equalizers when it comes to uh, the dissemination of information and alternative views. And much of the discussion around net neutrality relates to whether or not Internet service providers should be considered so-called common carriers, similar to telephone companies, and therefore are open to be regulated in the same way. Of course, the Internet service providers themselves argue that they should not be classified as common carriers. Mozilla thinks that it may have found a way to ensure network neutrality without a requirement to go back and reclassify broadband carriers as common carriers. Mozilla filed a petition with the FCC this week, which asked the FCC to recognize that in addition to the relationship that exists between the Internet service provider and the end user, you sitting at home watching Netflix or whatever the case may be, that's one relationship that is being discussed quite a bit when it comes to issues of net neutrality. That there's a separate relationship between the internet service provider and that uh, entity that is providing or hosting the data, video, or information. And that that relationship can actually be regulated under the 1996 Telecommunications Act. Instead of saying that the internet service provider simply has a duty to deliver all packets of data over its pipes, for lack of a better term, to the consumer without discrimination, Mozilla is saying that there's another legal obligation, which is that the ISP owes to content providers to deliver their packets in a neutral manner. This may seem like a small nuance or detail, Lewis, but this is huge because it would actually allow the FCC to do whatever it wants on the consumer side, which of course we're still concerned with. But without ISPs as common carriers, based on the 1996 Telecommunications Act, would have to treat the provider data without discrimination. Um, Lewis, am I doing a clear enough job of explaining what this fundamental difference is here? Do you get what I'm saying? I do. I think it makes sense, and I think this is massively important. Uh, if, if It's a shame that it needs to come down to the, this, these tiny uh, yeah. legal details, but uh, this is very, very important. I, I hope this goes through because I think we're a long way away from actually labeling um, these ISPs as... Um, what were they called? As common carriers, yeah, you're right, common that's carriers, a big right. uphill battle. To put it another way, the distinction that Mozilla is making is that 
instead of only having a duty to the end user, be it a residential user, a business user, whatever, once a content provider's traffic hits the ISP's network, the ISP has a duty to deliver the content provider's traffic in a neutral manner. Uh, I think that this is an absolutely great point here. This would, of course, if it is determined to be um, uh, uh, actionable by the FCC and by the judiciary, there are going to be uh, just a, there's going to be a deluge of lawsuits over this. Of course, ISPs, which presumably exist to allow the transfer of data. Oh wait, no, actually, they exist just as profit centers. We should have learned that by now. Um, they're, they're going to sue, and this could lead to a decade-long legal battle, but at least Mozilla is thinking proactively here about what is already in the law that might further reinforce a free and open Internet, which I think is important, Lewis, because as you said, to create new law around this, the law has, the, the laws have lagged behind when it comes to Internet usage, for so long, and if we can find an existing legal basis to protect an open internet, we can't even measure the positive effect of that. I mean, it's just huge. It might be one of the most important things facing this country. The little people aren't going to win this one, David. Uh, it takes a big corporation to beat another big corporation. We need the Mozillas, the Googles, and the Apples behind us on this one to win this battle. Probably worth mentioning, just for context, Lewis, that Tom Wheeler is the former head of the cable lobby. A cable lobbyist is now running the FCC. Money in politics, never forget that that's always there. All of that in your first read. Just by looking at the cover. You still want to thumb the pages, don't you? Now, foxes, they look dashing. Oh, yeah. And foxes, they talk sweet. Uh huh. But foxes, they get hungry. And chickens, what they eat. That's right. Well, I may look like dinner. Uh -huh. But me, I'm no one's do. <laughs> and I know what you're doing, creeping around this chicken First, let's take just a moment together and appreciate how amazing the internet is. You can use it to file your taxes, apply for jobs, you can go online right now and buy a case of coyote urine. Do you know how difficult it used to be to obtain coyote urine? You literally had to give a coyote Gatorade and just wait. It was a mess. The system was a mess. But if you've turned on the news lately, you may have heard some worrying references to the Internet changing. The Federal Communications Commission has agreed to move forward on a proposal that could change the way we use the Internet. At risk, the basic principle of net neutrality. Net neutrality. Net neutrality. Yes, net neutrality. The only two words that promise more boredom in the English language are featuring sting. And, and hearing... hearing people talk about it is somehow even worse. As anticipated, the notice proposes to ground the net neutrality rules in Section 706 of the Telecommunications Act of 1996. Oh my God, that is the most boring thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that is even boring by C-SPAN standards. I would rather read a book by Thomas Friedman than sit through that hearing. I would rather listen to a pair of dockers tell me about the weird dream it had. I would rather sit down with my niece and watch Caillou, a children's show about a bald Canadian child who lives a life devoid of any incident. F*** you, Caillou! Grow some hair and leave the house! Find out what the world's about! Come on! But here's the thing. Net neutrality is actually hugely important. Essentially, it means that all data has to be treated equally, no matter who creates it. It's why the internet is a weirdly level playing field. And startups can supplant established brands. That's how Facebook supplanted MySpace, which supplanted Friendster, which supplanted actually having any friends. <laughs> do, do you remember physically having friends? It was awful. You couldn't tap people's faces to make them go away. The, the point is, the internet in its current form is not broken. And the FCC is currently taking steps to fix that. 
The FCC is endorsing new rules that could clear the way for a two-tier system. The rules would open the door for the first time for Internet providers like Comcast and Verizon to charge tech companies to send content to consumers more quickly. Netflix, for example, might pay a premium to ensure that its customers can stream movies more reliably at a cost a startup competitor might not be able to afford. No. This cannot happen. How else is my startup streaming video service, Nutflix, going to compete? <laughs> it's going to be America's one-stop resource for videos of men getting hit in the nuts. <laughs> you, you don't even know you want it yet, that's why it's brilliant. <laughs> Ending net neutrality would allow big companies to buy their way into the fast lane, leaving everyone else in the slow lane, although telecom companies would prefer that you put it in a slightly different way. When you say fast lane and slow lane, it's a good illustration, but what you really should be talking about is a fast lane for everybody and a hyperspeed lane for others. Bullshit. If we let cable companies offer two speeds of service, they won't be Usain Bolt and Usain Bolt on a motorbike. They'll, they'll be Usain Bolt and Usain Bolted to an anchor. And, and telecom companies will say, they would never slow down a website speed in order to get more money out of them. But, but let me tell you a little story. Recently, Comcast was negotiating with Netflix. This graph shows Netflix download speeds on various providers. That black line plummeting downwards was their speed on Comcast during the negotiation. See if you can guess when Netflix agreed to Comcast demands. I'll give you a hint. It's right there. <laughs> has all the ingredients of a mob shakedown. Oh, Netflix, nice show about life in a ladies' prison. Such a shame if there was going to be something happen to your connection there. So frustrating that would be. And it's not just anti-corporate hippies who think that abandoning net neutrality is a bad idea. The net neutrality movement is leery of big corporate players, but in this debate, it's on the same side as some of them. Google, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, all signed on to this letter uh, supporting net neutrality. What's being proposed is so egregious, activists and corporations have been forced onto the same side. That's basically Lex Luthor knocking on Superman's apartment door and going, listen, I know we have our differences, but we have got to get rid of that arsehole in apartment 3B. He's, he's too loud, Soup. He's just too loud. And, and you might wonder, well, look, if everyone is against this, how is it even possibly happening? Well, consider who would benefit from this change. Cable companies. Verizon wants a two-tier system so badly, they sued the government to force the rule change that's currently being discussed. These companies have Washington in their pockets to a conveniently almost unbelievable degree. Comcast has spent $18,810,000 in lobbying last year. That's more than any other company except for defense contractor north of Crumman. So just to be clear, the ranking of who buys government influence is number one, military-industrial complex, and number two, the provider of lizard-lick towing. <laughs> Look, I, I could show you the troublingly cosy relationship between cable companies and Washington in any number of ways. I could show you the president golfing with the CEO of Comcast, or saying at a fundraiser at a cable executive's house that he'd been there so many times, the only thing I haven't done in this house is have Seder dinner. But, but perhaps the most succinct way is this. The president has picked Tom Wheeler, a former top lobbyist for cable and wireless companies, to be the next chair of the Federal Communications Commission. Yes. The guy who used to run the cable industry's lobbying arm is now running the agency tasked with regulating it. That is the equivalent of needing a babysitter and hiring a dingo. Uh, here, uh, thanks for stopping over. Just make, make sure they're in bed by eight. Uh, there's 20 bucks on the table for kibble, so uh, please don't eat my baby. With, with the fact... With the fact that they are practically overseeing their own oversight, 
It is hardly surprising that cable companies are basically monopolies now. A federal study found that 96% of the population had access to two or fewer cable broadband providers. It's almost as if they've agreed to stay out of each other's way like drug cartels. But I, hold on, hold on, no, that's not fair. That's not fair. I mean, it, if hypothetically a cable company like Comcast were planning to merge with a company like, let's say, Time Warner. It's not, it's not like their CEO would sit down and mark out who had which turf, right? Both in video and in broadband, we don't compete with Time Warner. You have to start with that very fundamental point. They're in New York, we're in Philadelphia, they're in LA, we're in San Francisco. You can't buy a Comcast in New York, you can't buy a Time Warner in Philadelphia. So there's no reduction in competition. Exactly! <laughs> You can't reduce competition when nobody is competing. You could not be describing a monopoly more clearly if you were wearing a metal top hat while driving a metal car after winning second prize in a beauty contest. And maybe. Maybe it's because of their lack of competition that they get away with providing such shitty service. We pay more for our internet service than almost anybody else on earth, and yet the download speeds we get lag behind Estonia. Estonia, a country where, from the looks of it, they still worry about Shrek attacks. Is it any wonder that in, in a massive recent customer satisfaction surveys, uh, Comcast and Time Warner Cable came in dead last. And when you look at the companies that were scored better than them, people were basically saying, yes, Bank of America took my home. Yes, Taco Bell gave me diarrhea. And, and sure, GM tried to kill me, but Time Warner and Comcast are the worst. They are the worst. And, and I know. I know. The cable companies will say, oh, they support net neutrality protections, or they remain committed to the open internet, or just the tip. But <laughs> let, me, let me remind you, they also say that they'll be at your house between 2 and 6 tomorrow afternoon. And does any part of you really expect them to f***ing turn up? And yet... Our government looks set to end net neutrality and let these companies run hog wild and we're just going to let them. And you know why? It all comes back to this. It seeks comment on ways to construe additional language in Section 706 and even suggests using Section 230B to broaden the scope of the Commission's usurped authority. Oh my God, how are you still so dull? <laughs> and, and that's the problem. The cable companies have figured out the great truth of America. If you want to do something evil, put it inside something boring. Apple could put the entire text of Mein Kampf inside the iTunes user agreement and you just go, uh, agree, 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 what, agree, agree. And that, that's why advocates should not be talking about protecting net neutrality. They shouldn't even use that phrase. They should call it preventing cable company f***ery. Because that is what it is. And it might actually compel people to want to do something. And the interesting thing here is, there might actually be something you can still do. The FCC will be taking public comment for 120 days. That's right. The FCC are literally inviting internet comments at this address. And at this point, and I can't believe I'm about to do this, I would like to address the internet commenters out there directly. <coughs> Good evening, monsters. <laughs> this may be the moment you've spent your whole lives training for. You have been out there ferociously commenting on dance videos of adorable three-year-olds, saying things like, every child could dance like this little loser after one week of practice. Or you've been polluting Frozen's Let It Go with comments like, Ice Castle would give her hypothermia and she'd dead in an hour. Or, and I know you've done this one, commenting on video on this show saying, fuck this asshole anchor, go suck your president's d you're just friends with the terrorists. Now, I don't know, I don't know what any of that means, but I don't think it's a compliment. But this is the moment you were made for, commenters. 
like Ralph, Ralph Macchio, you've been honing your skills, waxing cars and painting fences. Well, guess what? Now it's time to do some f***ing karate. For once in your life, we need you to channel that anger, that badly spelled bile that you normally reserve for unforgivable attacks on actresses you seem to think have put on weight. <laughs> Politicians that you disagree with, or photos of your ex-girlfriend getting on with her life, or non-white actors being cast as fictional characters. And I'm talking to you, Ron Paul fan 2016, and you, One Direction Forever, and I'm talking to you, One Direction Sucks Balls. We need you to get out there, and for once in your lives, focus your indiscriminate rage in a useful direction. Seize your moments, my lovely trolls. Turn on Caps Rock and fly, my pretties! Barack Obama told us there'd be no compromise on net neutrality. We heard him say it back in 2007 when he first was running for president. To seize this moment, we have to ensure free and full exchange of information. And that starts with an open internet. I will take... I will take a backseat to no one in my commitment to network neutrality. He said it so many times that defenders of net neutrality believed him. They believed he would keep his word, would see to it that when private interests set up on the Internet like sharks to blood in the water, its fate would be in the hands of honest brokers who would listen politely to the pleas of the greedy and then show them the door. Unfortunately, it turned out to be the infamous revolving door. Last May, President Obama named Tom Wheeler to be FCC chairman. Mr. Wheeler had been one of Obama's top bundlers of campaign cash, both in 2008 and again in 2012 when he raised at least half a million dollars for the president's re-election. Like his proposed rules for the web, that put him at the front of the line. What's more, Wheeler had been top gun for both the cable and wireless industries. And however we might try to imagine that he could quickly abandon old habits of service to his employers, that's simply not how Washington works. Business and government are so intertwined there that public officials and corporate retainers are interchangeable parts of what Chief Justice John Roberts might call the gratitude machine. Round and round they go, and where they stop, actually, they never stop. They just flash their easy pass as they keep shuttling through that revolving door. Consider, Daniel Alvarez was a longtime member of a law firm that has advised Comcast. He once wrote to the FCC on behalf of Comcast, arguing against net neutrality rules. He's been hired by Tom Wheeler. Philip Bervere also worked for Comcast and the Wireless and Cable Trade Associations. He's now Tom Wheeler's senior counselor. Attorney Brendan Carr worked for Verizon and the Telecom Industries Trade Association, which lobbied against net neutrality. Now, Brendan Carr is an advisor to FCC Commissioner Ajit Pai, who used to be a top lawyer for Verizon. To be fair, Tom Wheeler has brought media reformers into the FCC, too, and has been telling us that we don't understand we're the victims of misinformation about these proposed new rules that he is still for net neutrality. Possibly. But the public's no chump. And as you can see from just those few examples I've recounted for you from the reporting of intrepid journalist Lee Fang, these new rules are not the product of immaculate conception. So this public comment period is crucial. You have a chance to tell both Obama and Wheeler what you think so that the will of the people and not the power of money and predatory interests is heard.
Hey, Jay. This is Paula in Southern California. I'm hoping my comment won't be baby diarrhea. Um, so this Yes All Women thing and your misogyny podcast has had me really thinking about um, the things that I've experienced in life and starting in, say, third grade when the most odious boy in the class decided to punch me and alternately kiss me in front of the whole class, leading to great humiliation and then elementary school when... Um, men, a man would follow me and my sister asking me about her underwear and then street harassment that basically started at the age of 12 when I hit puberty and continued kind of constantly until my early 20s. Uh, in middle school, I was followed and propositioned while jogging. Um, then I, there was another indecent exposure experience in middle school and high school. A teacher of mine singled me out for inappropriate sexual attention. Um, and then in college, the same exact thing happened with the professor. Um, meanwhile, a good friend of mine was raped by her advisor in college, and then I was given a date rape drug at some point, and luckily did not have the rape experience, but still wasn't great. Uh, so two more indecent exposure experiences, a subway ex- incident, um, you know, it all starts to add up, and I haven't really known to what to do with all this stuff as I've been thinking about my whole life experience this week, thanks to the Yes All Women So this sounds all kind of bad, but what I'm getting at is that your podcast actually made me feel a lot better because it was a lot of voices of men talking about how this is wrong and how they support and want to hear what women have to say about this. And that, as a 50-year-old woman, that is a very different type of thing than I've heard in my life much. Um, So I want to thank you. I think you are awesome, Jay. I think the things that you're very sensitive about women's issues and it's incredibly valuable and helpful to people like me who are women who who like to hear those voices of men who are on our side, so to speak. So thanks. All right. Bye. Hi, Jay. This is Kim from Illinois. I wanted to comment on the Planet Money segment from the June 9th episode about tying doctors pay to their patients' performance. I actually generate this data for a living for medical practice and wanted to share that one problem I've seen with this approach is that the incentives only apply to Medicare patients. A large part of my job is identifying patients by their insurance provider and then flagging just these patients for the doctors to do things like prevent the unnecessary hospital readmissions discussed in this segment. I have tried making the case that we should be incentivizing the doctors to do this for all patients, including those like my parents who lack health insurance, but the powers that you're still insisting that our focus should be patients with payers like Medicare that have these sorts of programs. Count this is yet another reason why I believe we still need single-payer health care. Thanks, and keep up the great work today. Hi, Jay. This is Zach again from San Francisco. Uh, it's been a little bit of time since I gave you a call. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day after listening to the episode on misogyny, and we were talking about misandry and whether it exists and whether it doesn't. And, um, their point was, my friend's point was that um, <clears throat> there are women that hate men just for being men. And I was explaining to him how just because that is true, that doesn't mean that there's a power structure behind women keeping men oppressed. There's no, there's no power structure going in that direction. But then I started to think that that doesn't necessarily mean misandry doesn't exist. For it to exist, it needs a power structure to support it. And if men are the dominant gender in that power structure, then it is men, men who enforce misandry by the little things we do to man-check each other and tell each other to man up and grow some balls and, oh, don't cry like a bitch. And, like, all those little things we do to each other, they're natural natural things for men to do when we criticize it and compare it to womanhood. It is misogyny, but at the same time, because your immediate target is a man, it's misandry. You're creating direct damage to men. And it's still, it takes a backseat to misogyny, which is the bigger issue. But I don't know. I think if more men thought of the way they police each other's behavior as misandry, uh, as opposed to feminists sticking up for themselves with misandry, because that's just ridiculous. If we thought about the damage we do to each other as men, as as misandry, then maybe we would do it a little less often. I'm curious what you think on that, or if I'm just a stoner that overthinks everything. So let me know, and enjoy your day. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible. Thanks to Katie Klobusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. First of all, today, to respond to the the caller who who we just heard from uh, on the topic of misandry, I think that, uh, well, first of all, I'll, I'll tell you what I thought of immediately, which is the direct comparison with the uh, what is sort of known as the academic de- definition of racism, which is, you know, I, I think most people, especially white people in America, have grown up being taught that racism is just discrimination based on race. The academic definition that people like to use is the combination of prejudice and power, which means that you have to have institutionalized power in order to fully realize your racism, if if uh, if that's the path you're going down, uh, meaning that black people, although they can be prejudiced as much as they want, they don't even have the power to be racist by that definition. So with misandry, it's sort of the same thing. Uh, the idea that it goes both ways doesn't hold any water because the power structure doesn't go both ways. Now, whether that means that uh, misandry can also be the definition of men sort of checking other men and telling them to man up and whatnot. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure that's the most just accurate use of language. Like, uh, in, in the discussion about racism, there's, uh, there's a term black checking, meaning, you know, people of color checking other people of color, telling them, you know, they're not acting black enough or you know any number of things along those lines. That's sort of what the caller is describing uh, as to what you know men do to each other. You know, people, men of all races, obviously. But you know that that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the parallel then means that misandry is is the right fit to describe it. It's totally a thing. It exists. It needs to be addressed. But maybe uh, the parallel with that is you know just just as with you know. Black checking is not the same as racism. Uh, you know, sort of male checking is not the same as misandry. That would be my take on it. But I, I basically take the point the caller is making and and think, you know, you're pretty much on the right path. Secondly, today, I just want to lay out the obvious for you that you have a, an excellent opportunity to make incredibly good use of your time today. Uh, first of all, obviously, if it was not made clear enough by the show, go make comments to the FCC. Go to FCC.gov slash comments and let them know what you think about net neutrality. And uh, it, once, you, once you're feeling excellent about yourself and you feel like you're, you're making a difference in the world, at that exact moment, I would suggest you then go over to bestoftheleft.com and click on our fundraiser page. Uh, things are going well. We're we're basically like a week into the fundraiser, and we just passed the twenty percent mark of our goal. We have you know somewhere in the like 40, 45 uh, donors who who have chipped in for a total of just over three thousand dollars. Excellent. Thanks to everyone uh, who who has uh, chipped into that. I I have a new list of names, an incomplete list of names. Uh, Donations have been coming in. I haven't had time to file yet, uh, but I'll I'll thank those people in a moment. But, you know, 20% of the way, we got about two and a half weeks to go. Things are going well. We just have to keep the momentum up. So if you are interested in helping Best of the Left pursue its, its, uh, you know, tireless goal of helping more and more people be reached by this sort of uh, excellent progressive media content. I think the idea that I have that I'm, I'm working on is the best idea I have ever had in pursuit of that goal. Basically, the idea is to produce a new uh, a smartphone app. That's where the that's where the world's going these days. Uh, people get their information right in their pockets on their phones. And I want to create an app that is so simple and so well integrated with uh, you know, dozens and dozens of different progressive media outlets that a person who doesn't know a thing about progressive media uh, has never wanted to deal with the headache of learning what a podcast was could actually download this app for free and be immediately introduced to all of the shows that you know and love, you know, because you already listen to this show, but uh, but an app like this could make life easier, not just for people who are already plugged in to the community, 
but making it unbelievably easier to get new people introduced. Um, many of you will remember, it wasn't that long ago, just you know, a couple of months ago, I was sort of musing on the show, like, I'm sort of struggling to come up with a marketing idea. If anyone has any marketing ideas, we could use them. Because frankly, like, just speaking for myself, uh, and this show in particular, my numbers have been kind of flat for a while. Like, like a few years <laughs> flat. And I thought, oh, I should really do something about this. And sort of just like little idea by little idea progressed along. And, and I'm probably not done coming up with new ideas and, and other people are going to chime in with good ideas as well. And, uh, but I, I think we're on a good path. So we're, we've set a goal of $15,000. Like I said, where we just passed the 20% mark uh, on our way to that goal. And if you, if you think it's a good idea and you want to chip in, uh, this is the time to do it. Uh, so speaking of people who have chipped in, I want to thank uh, several people. Uh, Carolyn from New York, New York. Stephen from Nashville, Tennessee. Mike from Throop, Pennsylvania, which is an excellent city name. Ray from Olympia, Washington. Kat from Berlin. Yes, the one in Germany. Jeff from Kalamazoo, Michigan, Janine from Highlands Ranch, Colorado, Heather from Arlington, Virginia, just across the river from me, Richard from San Rafael, California, Norton from Las Vegas, Nevada, Bennett from Camden, Maine, uh, Jana from Verona, Wisconsin, and Michael from, from Hanamu, Hawaii. Uh, and and there, there are more to come. I, I haven't even had time to uh, to make notes of all the people who donated recently. I, I sent out an email blast uh, last night. There's been a good response from that. And uh, and so we just have to keep the momentum going. Head over to bestofleft.com and click on the big fundraising banner. And there's all sorts of excellent things you can get. Everything, you know, as little as 50 bucks gets you a t-shirt. And and the top prize, I'm going to be so excited if, if someone does this. The top prize is to uh, buy my microphone that has been use on the show, uh, been in use on the show for more than 500 episodes. I will sign it for you and everything like that. Um, but the sweetest prize will be that it will have sold for $1 more than David Pakman sold his microphone for uh, a few months ago when he was doing a fundraiser and that, uh, the sweetness of that victory, uh, cannot be underestimated. So if you're interested in, in, uh, checking it out, thank you in advance and, uh, all the support is appreciated. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks everyone for listening. And thanks for those who support the show, obviously by chipping into the fundraiser. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash bestofleft. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained